And we're back. And we're still black. Oh, God. And we're, we got a little day drunk today. Uh, yeah. So today is the final day of TIFF. But for us, we did not see any movies. We decided to mark the end of the festival um, in an extremely decadent way. So we went for brunch at Toka, which is in the Ritz-Carlton. It was some real first world nonsense, y'all. So the brunch itself is spectacular. There was a huge spread of seafood, more than I could possibly eat. Which is saying something. I love lobster. Number one favorite food. Well, lobster and crab. And Venice. Well, I get a lot of favorites, but it's like favorite food is a tier. It's not a position. So there's a lot of food on that tier, but lobster and crab are definitely right up there. Um, and the service was impeccable. The food was magnificent. Shout out to Lynn. Uh, yeah, Lynn, our server, was the best. Lynn of the lunches. And they give you unlimited mimosas or balloonies. And you might think, oh, this is a scam. They're not going to, like, that's going to be the lost leader. They're really going to give you, like, just a little bit. But, I'm, well, first of all, I'm sure we totally destroyed their whole uh, business model. By making more <laughs> mimosas than uh, anyone probably ever has. But first of all, I got there first. So uh, my first mimosa was on the way within a minute of me sitting in my chair. And when your glass is, I don't know, a half, a third uh, full. At this place, your cup is always half full. They will come around and they will top up your glass with champagne. Not orange juice. Just champagne. But they champagne. will top it up. At one point, my glass was pretty much... Uh, there was like about 5% orange juice because she filled up my glass with champagne twice while I was drinking my mimosa. So um, it was, I mean, this is not the Toka cast, but it was so good. It should be a Toka cast. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was everything. But as a result, uh, from 2.30, yeah, our reservation was at 2.30. It's now 7.40. I'm still, well, I'm still slightly hammered. Yeah. But I am also drinking another drink. Absolutely. Because I needed to get my, uh, my alcohol level back up in order to uh, bring a little bit of enthusiasm. So before we went for brunch, I did watch the live stream, like everything at TIFF. It didn't start right on time as scheduled. So I got to stare at the blue screen for a while and then had a really long streetcar ride because of having to wait. But the awards went pretty much as most people predicted they would. And I'll quickly read through... <clears throat> The award winners from this year, once again, the TIFF site has made it difficult to find the information about their own damn festival on their own damn site. So well, TIFF is over, so who cares anymore? I'm looking at this off of BlogTO, uh, and we'll start from uh, one of the early awards and then up to the top. The Dropbox Discovery Program Filmmakers Award, which I believe the prize was a free Dropbox business account. account. Oh, jeez. I, I was joking. Is that really the... 100%. God. Was for the film Jeffrey. Oh. Uh, best short film, Imago. Imago? I don't know. Uh, best Canadian short film, Mutants. And I will say they had the most entertaining acceptance speech because they'd actually returned home to Quebec. They got the news that they were probably going to win and then they drove back. So they hadn't oh. slept and were all, in their own words, partying pretty hard <laughs> when they decided to jump back in the well, car and head back to best Toronto. Best Canadian short film. I mean, so, well, that for years. Yeah, well, they were already having a good time at home, just partying from like they were in the festival, and then they were told, you guys should come back because you might win. Uh, then, Best Canadian First Feature Film, Old Stone. Best Canadian Feature Film, Those Who Make Revolution Halfway Only Dig Their Own Graves. Yeah. Uh, for Preshi Prize for Discovery Program, Kati Kati, mm-hmm. the Freshy Prize for Special Presentations, I Am Not Madame Bovary, NetPack Award for World or International Asian Film Premiere, In Between, Toronto Platform Prize mm-hmm. went to Jackie, oh, okay. People's Choice Midnight Madness Award went to Free Fire. Somebody told me that Free Fire was not good. I don't remember who it was, but... Yeah, a couple people were like kind of met on it, that's, but... That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, People's Choice Documentary Award went to... I am not your Negro. The runner-up for that was Abacus, too oh, small to yeah. jail, I, or small enough to jail, small uh, enough to jail. Abacus, small enough to jail. Yeah. So you saw. I our, did. Yeah. I, I saw both of those. Yeah, I saw Abacus. I did not. I, I, we both saw Abacus, but I did not. Uh, we haven't talked about I am not your Negro. And People's Choice Award runner-ups. So your, whoever she was to your Vanessa Williams, uh, 
Queen of Cutway and Lion, which I wanted to have Four. actually win, but yeah. it's runner-up. It was a bridesmaid, Depatel. And the winner is, with absolutely no surprise to anyone, La La Land. So that movie is actually just finishing up right now. The free screening at Roy Thompson Hall would have happened. And now what they've also added this year is a free screening for volunteers after the free screening for the public. Oh, so a free screening of the same... I believe it's the same one. Yeah, so the volunteers all get like a ticket for the People's Choice winner if they want to go. Yeah. Maybe I'll volunteer next year. Yeah. (laughs) So those are the award winners. It was no surprise, I think, to almost anyone that La La Land was going to win, whether you saw the movie or not. Yeah, there were were people who I know who are about non-musical fans who liked the movie. I myself did not see it because I am very anti-musical, However, uh, I've seen a couple of musicals in my life that I have liked. Which ones? Um, so there was one called The Other Side of the Bed, which was a span. For one thing, it was in Spanish. Um, it was about ten years ago. It was I think Paz Vega was in it, but it was a, it was a Spanish language film that was almost entirely a musical, and it was really really good. Um, aside from that, hmm, it'll be a long pause as I try to dredge up something because I'm not a musical person. Like I don't like. Um, I don't like movies that are entirely musical. I don't like m- movies that are about the music, the music industry, like uh, uh, the Tom Hanks thing, where they had that one hit and they kept on playing that one song entirely through that the movie. That thing you do? Yes. Uh, I'm not a big fan of... Doing that thing you do. I'm just, I didn't like Empire Records. I didn't like Cadillac Records. <laughs> I don't like music, um, music movies generally. Um, but... I mean, clearly, I'm gonna to have to go see La La Land. I don't. You have don't to have to see it. Yeah, I do. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be uh, nominated for an Academy Award, and everywhere I read, um, Emma Thompson, Emma Thompson, Emma, Emma Stone, Emma Stone is is <laughs> is apparently the only person in the race for Best Actress so far. Like her name keeps on coming up consistently. Um, Natalie Portman um, is in the race now because of Jackie, and to a, a lesser extent, Amy Adams for Arrival and uh, Nocturnal Animals. But Emma Stone seems to be the like the contender, so I'm gonna have to see like there's I have to see this movie, and I really liked not even really liked I absolutely loved um, uh, Damien Chazelle's first movie. I don't I don't know if it was first I don't know if it was actually his first movie, but. Um, I loved, uh, what was it called? The, the drumming movie. Whiplash. Whiplash, yeah. I like that you call it the drumming movie. Well, it was a, it was a fantastic film. So yeah. uh, I believe in him as a filmmaker. Ryan Gosling is, you know, I think he and I, we've parted ways. And I, I mean, mean I, I've talked about how Reynolds is now my favorite Canadian yeah, Ryan, but yeah. only by a whisker, by an adorable, yeah, scruffy whisker. But I mean, so for me, I mean, I saw... Um, I saw the nice guys. Was that what it was called? Mm-hmm. Um, no, not the nice guys. It wasn't the other guys. Yeah, I guess it was the nice guys. The one with him and uh, and uh, Russell Crowe. Um, so I've seen a lot of Ryan Gosling movies, but he really hasn't done anything to wow me. In I liked Lars and the Real Girl. How many years ago was that? Um, what about of, Drive? Drive was after Lies in the Real Girl. Yeah, but I mean, Drive was okay, but I didn't love it, and I didn't think he was why the movie was good. The movie was, like, stylistically, it was great. I don't think that Ryan uh, Gosling, I think you could have put somebody else in that movie. So, to my thing is, when I see a great performance, a lot of times it's informed by, it's only my opinion, but that no one else could have played this role, or if someone else had played this role, the movie would have been substan- substantially different. You could have subbed somebody else in for the Ryan Gosling role in Drive, and it could have been as good as, or if not, a better movie without him. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, it was okay, but it's not like, oh my God, Ryan Gosling has to be in this movie. And actually, come to think of it, I can't think of any Ryan Gosling role that had to have been him, which is interesting. I mean, I like him as an actor, but you know, you talk about Ryan Reynolds. Who else could play the smart ass uh, in um, Van Wilder? Yeah, or... Uh, Deadpool. Yeah, like there's... He has a certain... Like there was a Ryan Reynolds-ness, and, there, and the Ryan Gosling 
ness is not this is not as specific. So you don't think the notebook at all, which I mean, <laughs> it's the notebook, but still, it's the notebook. Uh-huh. You think anyone could have played that? No, it's. I'm never saying anyone could play it. I'm saying someone else could play it, and it could be as good or better, which is different. Um, so, uh, yeah, there was. Uh, I mean, I don't have this. I didn't. Okay, on the record, didn't love the notebook. Doesn't mean anything to me. That kiss in the rain. It's, yeah, I guess it's nice, but I did not love the movie. But I do feel like Kisses in the Rain, that's a bit of a... Cliché. And it's also, like, if you've ever kissed anyone in the rain... It's, it's not, it's cold. And wet and uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Um, so, yeah, no, I don't think that... I mean, yeah, if you'd cast that movie with someone other than um, Rachel McAdams and Ryan Gosling, could it have been what it was? Of course. I really do believe that. I mean, it might be sacrilegious to the McGoslings out there. <laughs> and I love them as a couple, and I still want them to get together, even though he has two babies with that horrible shrew. She's not a horrible Eva Mendes. She sucks. I'm sure she's perfectly lovely. I'm sure she's a lovely person, but she's not McAdams. Yeah, so I think they're great as a couple, but um, I think of that role being, like, first of all, a younger Brad Pitt could have totally been that guy. I mean, basically, the younger Brad Pitt is basically the template for that guy. Yeah, like basically, like I'm sure when the script Legends is written, of the Fall, like that yeah. is that is who yeah. Noah was his name Noah. Mm-hmm. Kill me for knowing that, but yeah, like that's yeah. So that's my point. But there's, I can't think of who else could have played Deadpool, but that smart ass charm. Maybe a Robert Downey Jr. He's the only guy I can think of who's actually in that same kind of register, but he doesn't. But that's the only thing. But he's already he's already Tony Stark, so he's not going to play Deadpool. But, like, Ryan Reynolds has a certain... Because of the way he looks and the way he acts, like, he's just, he... It's, like, yeah, that he's more unique. He's a more unique actor. And I feel like Ryan Gosling spends a lot of time trying to be uh, Marlon Brando. Whereas Ryan Reynolds is only trying to be Ryan Reynolds. Although none of this has anything to do with Tiff. Right. So maybe we should get back. Let's, let's run back, it back. Back on the fairway and out of the weeds. Yeah, we're, we're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to talk about what we like the most in no particular order because, honestly, neither one of us is sober to construct a clean list. It won't be a top ten. It'll just be stuff we liked. We'll run out of time and there'll be tangents. And then I'll probably leave to go drink some more. So um, you can have a nap. Yeah, Abel, 8.30 is a good time to have a nap, I suppose. (laughs) It is. So we'll be back in a few. And we're back. Yes, so we're going to talk about our favorite movies of TIFF. Yeah. Um, yeah, like Petula said, there's no ranking. We're not doing a top ten. Not yet. Um, we're doing... Well, I can't even come up with a top ten because I saw 14, and I can't say I liked ten of them enough to give them an unqualified recommendation. Right. Um, but I will say that this year... Um, well, it's the first time in a long time where there's been so much buzz on so many movies a lot of movies that I didn't see that I'm really ex- I'm really excited about the fall yeah um, and I like the movies that I did see uh, for the most part so uh, they did a really good job this year and actually we can talk about that um, as well about what TIFF the festival got right this year yes. not just in terms of programming movies but in terms of infrastructure and how the ticketing went because I was actually I was blown away by how easy it was to TIFF this year I did not have to go to the festival box office. I ordered my tickets, got them all delivered on my phone. All the scanners worked at all the venues. They were scanning paper. They were scanning tickets. They were scanning my phone. Um, and it it went smoothly. Um, I can't believe it. I, I will say everything bad I said about them. Well, not everything. The scanner, pro- okay. the scanner process went much better than we predicted. However, still up until yesterday... I heard people saying, but I have a seat number on my ticket. Yeah, but that's their fault. For all the tickets, there's not a seat number. It says GA. It's general admission. And I think that's because of... But there's still a seat number. I think it's... But I think all the seats are... I think all the seats are 56. Um, so, t- but that's because of Ticketmaster. When Ticketmaster assigns these seats, they have a seat number. Um, so, I, yeah, I saw a whole bunch of people saying, where's, where's my seat? Where's my seat? But the orange shirts were like, well, there's no... Like, it's general admission. So if you've ever been to any, like, so, uh, you know, God from help me, but I'm going to be on TIFF's side. When you had a seat number, your ticket also said general admission. Anyone who's been to a, any kind of event 
in the last million years knows that GA is general admission. So when I saw it, I was like, okay. I didn't think that that was actually an assigned seat. So, um, you know, too bad. I'm on TIFF's side. Okay. Yeah, that's... <clears throat> I, I hate to be in the position of, of defending TIFF. No, but this is an interesting perspective because yeah. a lot of people had some struggles. I brought uh, a friend from work. It was their first TIFF. They bought their own ticket. Mm-hmm. So we're getting to the front of the line, and I lined up like an hour early. We're chit-chatting all the time. We get close to the front of the line, and he hasn't realized that his email isn't the actual thing they need to scan, and there's no easy click in. Yes, that happened to somebody in front of me, too. She got her confirmation, Yeah, and she was in line. She had it open. like And the people came, uh, so it was outside the Elgin, and this woman is running, one of the volunteers is... Uh, going down the entire length of the line, screaming to people, anyone who will listen, have your tickets out, have it ready to scan. And I was like, oh, what kind of... It was This was like the second to last day of Jeff. I'm like, who doesn't know this at this point? But sure enough, there was a woman in front of me who only had her confirmation, who actually had not... She had her phone, but she hadn't um, actually added the ticket to her passbook on her phone. So the woman next to her was like trying to show her how to do this as we're, you know, and of course, as soon as this woman makes the discovery, the line starts moving. So... They're trying desperately to try to get the phone um, to, to get the pass in her passbook. And it's like, did you buy it through TIFF or Ticketmaster? Because you have to log in through one or the other yeah. to get to the barcode. Yeah, so not having... So I will admit that not having the, a paper, uh, like an actual physical ticket, was a uh, was a bit of a hurdle for some people. Um, for me, it wasn't, but um, it's because, I mean, I... But we spent a lot of time being concerned about this before. I feel like part of the reason why it was so easy for you and part of the reason why I, compared to a lot of the other movie nerds, had a surprisingly easy process buying my package was because I put so much thought into all of the ways this could be broken. And I, I mean, as somebody who goes to movies frequently, if you buy a movie through Cineplex, everything goes into my wallet. So as soon as I see a button that says add to my wallet, I know what that means. So I can understand how if somebody doesn't do that on a regular basis, it wouldn't mean anything to them. Um, and it might seem as though it's an option as opposed to something that you really need to do. Because if you have your phone, the only way you're going to get into a movie is if you have the ticket in your wallet. Um, so those are like, those are a little bit of pain points for other people. So I can only speak from my experience, but for me it was very smooth because the... Like buying tickets online and fulfilling them online is something I know how to do. So for me, it was like it was perfect. Like I, there were no hiccups anywhere along the way. So yeah, I think because uh, if I said this is what I've wanted for years, to not have to stand in line to buy a ticket online, to have the ticket on my phone, to go to a theater, pull out my phone, have them scan it. That's like for me, that's perfect. That's that's the way I want to do TIFF. Yeah. And they finally did it this year, and their app. Surprisingly, really good. Yeah. Like, they, they really... I hate to be in a position to not have anything to gripe about, <laughs> but they really impressed me this year. So, if going forward, this is what the festival is, then I guess I'm in it for another 19 years, because it's not going to get worse. Hopefully, it gets better. I mean, the surge pricing is still a bit of a, a challenge. So, if a movie has buzz, now the price will be higher. And the fact that you could get a surge ticket and pay more, or you could line up and rush and get in for Less. a re- regular price. Well, yeah, but then you're. Yeah. But then you're waiting in the rush line, so yeah. you're paying with your time. You're paying yeah. with your feet. You're paying with your ass on concrete. So there is all of that. These are things that they'll either iron out or won't bother to. But I do feel like the barrier to entry. If you don't have somebody to help you with the technical part now, it used to be just money. Now you need some sort of. Yeah facility with technology in addition to disposable cash but i would say this too though and time but in terms of like buying something online like let's say it was my mother i mean it's never gonna happen she's never gonna she didn't even live here but like this would be like buying a ticket online would be an impossible impossible thing for my mother to do however if and here's the thing you don't know what you don't know so i think there was like this group of people like some people were very comfortable going to the box office picking up their ticket because they didn't like you but yeah it's because you didn't believe that, that it could actually work I didn't right believe it would work. and there are other people who got the who got their tickets electronically like me and i was like okay if it doesn't work then well we're, then i have to believe at some point i have to jump off the cliff 
Um, but I think there was a whole group of people in between who thought, this is easy, but they didn't actually do their homework. So when you are trying anything that's new, I do think the onus is on you to figure out how to do it. So if I got my ticket and it said, oh, your ticket's been... I'd be like, well, so how are they going to actually... So if I got an email saying, this is your ticket, it's been confirmed, I, my first thought would be, well, how are they going to know that it's me? So, um, Well, the email should say, this is not your ticket. But you know what? Yeah. We're going too deep on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Later, when we're sober, we'll do a full mm. episode on 10 things they could have done to make it even better this so year. So 2018. Since you thought it was great. Yep. And we'll Love go. It. We'll go back to the movies we liked. I'd say... At but the I, top, but yeah. I would. But just like my last thing is that I would say that the cur- like for someone who's very technologically advanced, it's perfect. For somebody who may not be as comfortable, then there, then I could see there being there are some problems, and it wouldn't have been like I didn't go looking for, um, uh, for instructions on how to do anything because I could figure it out on my own. So I will admit that if I didn't know, it may have been hard to find the information. Mm-hmm. But. I can't speak to that because I was okay with doing it on my own. So for me, my biggest regrets are not seeing uh, Moonlight and Nocturnal Animals. Those are the two films that I regret the most not having scheduled. But towards the end of the week when I was looking to make a switch, possibly, I'm still happy that I kept the Patriarch instead of trying to exchange it for Nocturnal Animals because the Patriarch is the kind of film that I don't think would ever get a release here. Yeah, and we had this conversation earlier in the week, and, yeah. and I recommended that you go to see the Patriarch. Uh, Nocturnal Animals is coming out November 18th. It's going to be a huge movie. You're right, the Patriarch may never show up. It may show up on Netflix a year and a half from now. Um, and it's a kind of... I mean, but this is a thing. Like When you go to TIFF, you have to... Like part of it is seeking out those small movies that you may never see anywhere else. They may never get a, a distribution deal. Um, and the Hollywood movies will come out. The weird thing is, is this is strange. You feel like, oh my God, like in the moments, like you're, you're missing out because these movies are being buzzed about. And you have to be able to set that aside and say, well, yeah, I didn't see La La Land. I didn't see uh, Arrival. I didn't see... Jackie, I didn't see these movies that are being talked about, but I will see them. Um, so I can be part of the conversation later. Uh, but I would really, if I hadn't seen The Patriarch, I feel like I would have missed out on something um, like essential. It would have been essential for me because this is a perfect movie for me. And outside of TIFF, that's the thing too. When something shows up in TIFF, everything's in one space and you can say, oh, it's a movie from New Zealand. Whereas these, mar- these movies tend to get buried when they come out over the course of a year, especially if they don't get a theatrical release, it's much harder to find them. So um, I am very much in favor of going for Patriarch over Nocturnal Animals. However, I did see both, and Nocturnal, <laughs> Nocturnal Animals is the best movie I've seen this year. But if I had it to do all over again, I would have still seen The Patriarch. Yeah. Because then I would be able to see Nocturnal Animals again for the first time. Yeah. Which would be great, because I love that movie. It's so good. Yeah, absolutely. So... We've talked about our regrets, and I'd say my, since we already had our what did we like at the midweek point, I'll say my late week, um, surprise, not surprise, I mean, we had Floyd on, but honestly, folks, listener, we had Floyd on, we would have had him on anyway, because he's a friend, and I honestly didn't believe him when he said the movie was that good, but it was really that good, so Gina the Joneses was great. It was a delight, it was an unexpected delight, I did it, like I thought I'd be in the position to have to say, in a really high-pitched voice, but I, Dinner of the Joneses is actually one of my favorite movies at the festival. It's the only, I think it's the only comedy I saw, the only, like, out-and-out comedy, and uh, the performances are great, the script is great, the direction is great. Um, it, beautiful, just everything. It looked yeah. beautiful. It was, it was really, it was wonderful, like, I couldn't, there's nothing I would change about the movie, um, and, yeah, so, it's, it's true, like, it's nice to, uh, to actually be able to support something that somebody who you're close to made or helped make. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's a remarkably good movie. Yeah. No, no lies. So that was my uh, late week surprise. In addition to Patriarch, I did see, I think I saw Kati Kati after we recorded last mm-hmm. time. Actually, I think I saw that immediately after we recorded last time. And that I liked, and I thought, oh, I'm making like an arty choice because it's like from Africa and whatever. But it was actually good. 
the music was really good. I asked the so, director after the film what is where the music was from, and he said, oh, it's actually my band. Mm. I think his band is called Just a Band or something. And he said, yeah, it's like free. You can just like search for the band right. name and find the music as well. It's the movie, it, the, the premise is this woman wakes up in a desolate wasteland and realizes, uh, finds out that she's dead. Oh, yeah, yeah, you told me about yeah, this. Yeah, and it, it sounds exactly like what you think, listener. It sounds a little high concept, artsy-fartsy, but it was actually really good. Well, and it won one of the prizes, so I know it's not just me. Like people yeah, who had yeah. to watch a bunch of movies also thought it was good. And it's from Nigeria. Uh, was it part no, of City that City? one wasn't part of City City. Okay. It was part of was it Discovery? Your typical summer? Whatever. I think it's from Nairobi. I feel like it is. I'm gonna look it up while we're talking, so I don't have to like put the apology so, in the show notes. So, so we recorded on Wednesday uh, before we went to see Reassignment, and up to that point, I was having a pretty good festival, and then after that, I hit the skids until. Oh, Kenya, Germany, okay. but okay. Uh, but he's from somewhere else. Who the director or the leader? The director. Um, so um, reassignment. So here's my, here's my question. On the Scoville scale of hot messes, which was the biggest hot mess? King of the Dance Hall. Okay, because I was, was going to ask you reassignment or King of the Dance Hall. King of the Dance Hall because I feel like. At least reassignment had oh, a something. story, yeah, and that a couple of the characters were actually in a good movie. Yes, Tony Shalhoub and Sigourney Weaver were in a good movie. Yeah, and I feel like there could have been a few other choices made, or you could even possibly recut it. Yes, and still get something out of it. Well, you'd have to completely cut out um, Michelle Rodriguez, though. No, I think She's you'd have sucked. to you'd have to cut her out as a man. You cast somebody else. Yeah, yeah, to play and, yeah, yes, as Frank, Frank before. Had, yes. Yep. Yeah. You could reshoot those scenes. You don't have to have as much of that character. You could cut some of them out and have what the character's doing be covered with voiceover by Sigourney Weaver, so you only see bits and pieces of the man. And do you know who before, I found? Like, and time. then you could have more Sigourney Weaver's voice, which would be great because she was the funniest. I found that, I mean, every time I looked at uh, Frank Kitchen, so that's Michelle Rodriguez's character as a man, I kept on seeing David Krumholtz. And the makeup was really bad. It was awful. So get David Krumholtz to play a pre-surgery Michelle Rodriguez. Sounds crazy, but it actually kind of makes sense because that's who she looks like so reassignment um was terrible death in sarajevo which was the dennis tanovich film um i really like that uh it's it's a movie that was it's actually a very interesting kind of concept it's shot in um in a hotel in sarajevo uh during the course of several hours so there's a looming labor strike there's somebody who's an interview who's a report you know, she's like a like a tv personality who's doing live interviews on the roof because it's about the uh the anniversary of uh the guy who shot archduke ferdinand the incident that set off world war one so there's a lot of talk about how this changed world history and about what's going on in the balkans it's still i mean there's still this incredible amount of animosity between serbs and bosnians um and it's it's really really remarkable because a lot of the time the camera is just following characters down long um, uh, hotel corridors. There are a lot of long takes, but it's really it's which seems as though it would be slow moving, but it's actually very very kinetic. It's a really really liked it. Um, and then uh, City of Tiny Lights, which was I mean so this movie was I was really looking forward to it. Uh, Riz Ahmed played a detective in Britain. It was so it's kind of like a neo-noir. So this movie had its, if not its world premiere, its North American premiere on Thursday night at the Ryerson. No cast showed up, which is really troubling. The movie was terrible. Possibly the worst movie I saw all festival. Oh, I didn't think it was the worst I saw. Oh. It wasn't great, but oh. it wasn't the worst. I thought it was, it failed at every turn. The only thing that was good was Riz Ahmed's performance. It was a movie in search of any reason to exist. It was cliche upon cliche. The weird, ticky director. So at, so at Q&A, you had the director and, and two producers who showed up. No Riz Ahmed, no anybody. I mean, not that Billy Piper should have shown up for this. But um, yeah, I thought, the, I, to me, um, even more than reassignment, I didn't see King of the Dance Hall. Someone actually gave me a ticket to see Loving instead, so I didn't end up seeing King of the Dance Hall. But to me, City of Tiny Lights was the biggest failure 
of this festival by far. It was I hated it. Hated it. Because at least reassignment was kind of fun in a way. In a weird way. But no, I'm a huge, huge, huge anti-fan of City of Tiny Lights. Once again, I feel like in there, there was maybe an interesting movie. Mm. I feel like the stuff with the younger characters... Mm. Um, it should have been cut out of the movie completely. I don't care about his dead friend. I don't care about that Billy Piper character had no business being in the movie. If we needed a love interest, get somebody else. Uh, and, and it's not because I don't like Billy Piper. It's because this incident that happened in the past that was supposed to inform what was happening now, it was so tangential. It was just, it was shoehorned in. The way that they shot those flashbacks was so visually disorienting. Um, there was that one redhead kid who was part of that crew. He was always on a swing. It's like, who is this redhead kid? And the camera was always moving. There were all these light streaks. So I couldn't, not, al- not only could I not establish who these characters were, in the flashbacks I could barely see who they were because the camera was constantly moving. It was very dark. Yeah, I just, yeah, it just, it was, I hate it. And, no, and not in tone, in terms of, to you, your point, the ability to discern what was going on, whether it was one of the past scenes or yeah, the like flashback one of the, or current. Yeah. Like I was saying, the only way this, this may have worked as a two-part um, series on a British, like on the BBC. Yeah. But it's not a movie. It's at best a two-part TV thing. But it's not a movie. Or it could be like, or it could entirely, you know what? Riz Ahmed could do this as a TV series. It could be like, it could be whatever his name was, uh, Tommy Actar, P.I. Sure, but it just it just felt like, and I also hate this thing where we have. Because I think it's more, uh, it may be more an issue in Britain than it is in the U.S. Strangely enough, but uh, the moment that you have a Muslim character in a British film, you automatically have to bring terrorism into the storyline, which I think is incredibly... It's very short-sighted. I thought that you were going to say there always has to be a subplot where somebody's parent watches cricket all the time. <laughs> well, that would, be, that would be delightful. But, you know, you have this, you know, this guy who's the detective who is... He's a Londoner, except for the fact that he is a Londoner of Muslim descent. So all the other Muslim characters are all connected to, rad- to radical Islam, which is stupid to me. It's like... Just let him be a Muslim guy in, in London who smokes and drinks and doesn't practice. Like, that's fine. And you, the only reason that this is even an issue is because you hired Riz Ahmed to play the character. So just let him be this guy. Make it, make it colorblind. Don't make... Yeah, I just find, it's, uh, the movie, that movie exhausted me. I was just like... I did a lot of heavy sighing, just like I'm doing now. Anyway, um, yeah. Um, so I didn't hate it as much as you did. Yeah, but... I did not like it at all. Honestly, he was just pretty to look at, so I pretty much just... Oh, his lovely eyes. Enjoyed the show. And his friend. Oh, lovely. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, lovely. His name, character's name was Love. That was his nickname. Yeah. And the actor was lovely. Yeah. Very beautiful man. Very. But... When he first turns around and faces the camera, it was just, eyes. yeah, you call him lovely. Lovely eyelashes, too. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they had, like, two potential femme fatales in this pseudo-noir, but really the prettiest... And most dangerous character was lovely. Oh, God. Don't yeah. even get me going with Kush Jumbo as just a generic prostitute who came to Christmas dinner. Ugh. I don't think she came to Christmas dinner. Yeah, I feel she like did. she cooked. Yeah, she did. She cooked Christmas dinner. I think that she moved in to take care of the dad so that he could move out to be with the girlfriend. I feel like that's the way it was positioned. Oh, it's that like okay. she's like the sort of taking care of the house person now and not well, she, on the game anymore. She had a real heart of gold. Yeah. 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 I love a hooker with a heart of gold. Yeah, I don't know how I got that from the that rushed sequence at the end, and we're totally spoiling this. I'm sorry if yeah, you had plans to see this movie that no. Mel just shat all over. I don't think he lived with the. No, I I feel I like he lived with his dad. He lived. He moved in with his dad to take care of him while he was sick. But yeah. I feel like well, he better at the end, at the end of the movie, better. maybe like he got to move out and she moved in to be like his sort of care. Okay, that's even worse. Person, that's great. Yeah. It's it's perhaps true, and I was like, it was like, who's this old black guy at dinner? The old blind black guy that he apparently was the guy who was in the very first scene with the dad. It was his dad's friend. But yeah, this is the problem. It's like these characters were so. A lot of the characters were just wallpaper. It's like oh, 
And even when Chekhov's gun finally goes off, by by the time Chekhov's gun does go off, I've forgotten about Chekhov and his gun. Like, I know that that was set up early, like, very early. But so much... It was, superfluous nonsense that happened. It was not a great... Yeah, I mean, we, we can drop the discussion now. Yeah, yeah. But I did not like it at all. I think it stinks. Let's go back to Gina the Joneses. Her clothes gonna, are amazing. I'm going to open this beer. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do this on mic. To get me over it's my... Like they know we drink by now. To get me over my... I'm so angry. Yeah. Spoiler alert, listener. Mm. We're constantly drinking when this is happening. And, and when it's not happening. Yeah. And every time we take a break, it's usually just to open or pour another drink. But we're just going to keep it moving today because I think we just want to smash this one out. Um, so, yeah, for all the other things that I really liked, I liked all my L movies, Lion Loving La La Land, uh, I Am Not Your Negro, Abacus, and yeah. I feel like there was another documentary I saw I really liked, oh, Into the Inferno, and maybe another one. Oh, the, the Herzog one? Yes. Although I did drop Salt and Fire yes. yeah. for City of Tiny Lights, which I still don't regret because I didn't hear a single good thing about Salt oh. and Fire. Mm-hmm. So I'm still okay with that choice. I did not like loving, but I did not like loving for the reasons that we discussed before. I think if I maybe had not seen the documentary, I would have liked the movie better. But but to your point, they did anything. keep the characters pretty taciturn. Like they weren't super chatty. Yeah, I mean, for me, the it, I don't think it's a terrible movie. It's just that I think this is a time when the the marriage of director and and uh, source material isn't good. Jeff Nichols makes incredibly slow-moving movies, so for him to make a movie about the Lovings is like it's like a sloth making a movie about a ladybug. Well, I don't know. What's slower than a ladybug? It's like a sloth making a movie about a snail. <laughs> it's a better analogy. He doesn't have... Like, there was no... And the, the thing is, like, they're what they represent, so Loving versus Virginia is a huge case in the civil rights movement, but the people behind it and their lives were rather mundane it wasn't a huge flashy case so when you see them living their very low-key lives it doesn't like they never catch fire Ruth Nego was good but it's not a performance that like it didn't I never I don't know it just never caught fire with me and the first hour was excruciating I actually um struggled to stay awake and uh, I was leaving the theater, and uh, I was just on the sidewalk, and then this random woman, it was really funny, she just turns to me and she says, did you like that? And I was like, no. And then we had like, a long discussion about how I didn't like it. Um, and it's not that I don't like it, it's just that I would never recommend it to anybody, except maybe if you're watching at home on a Sunday afternoon and you want to break it up, uh, you watch like a few minutes here and a few minutes there, but it is so slow. And knowing how it ends up, for me, it was completely devoid of tension because I knew how it ended up. And then when I thought, well, they haven't even put anything in the movie. Like, they haven't created any artificial tension. So for me, it was really, it was really, really too slow. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And part of it was, I think, that I didn't see the documentary yeah. first. So I did feel a lot of tension mm-hmm. in that I... You know, you know the ultimate end, but you don't know what's going to happen in between. Right. Uh, their first interaction with the law and the ultimate decision. So right. I truly, like, there were moments when I was, you know. Reclumped? Yeah. Reclumped, end of my seat. I actually, unlike Lion, where I wept for the entire third act for loving, I was, I held it together through the whole movie. It's more like the, the closing credit stuff. Yeah, some people cried. There was somebody that was, dabbing their eyes. That's but, what but got I knew me. What happened, so I was like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's sad. Anyway. But boring. <laughs> they're boring people, which isn't a bad yeah. thing. It's just that... Well, anyway, we're talking about what I liked, and I liked it. Oh, yes. It, you liked so... loving, yes. 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 And I think I liked almost all my documentaries. We both agreed that Mostly Sunny had a good idea in there, but it didn't quite execute. Yeah. Uh, mostly Sunny, you know what? If Mostly Sunny showed up on Canadian Netflix, I would watch it and be like, hmm, interesting. But it's not a feature. It doesn't have... There's no... I don't know what movie he was trying to make. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't say... You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't follow... And you don't have to have a documentarian have, a, have an agenda. Sometimes documentaries, they, you know, they write themselves. But this movie wasn't about anything. It wasn't about the, like the huge gulf that one has to traverse from being a, you know, like a Canadian um, woman... Uh, from a Sikh family who grew up in Sarnia, 
who became a porn star and then moved to India and became a Bollywood star. Like, that isn't what this movie is about. It's not about that journey. It's not... And and the main character herself, like, she's all over the documentary, but she's very opaque. So it's very difficult to understand. Like, it's like, you know, it's almost like all she says is, yeah, I was a porn star. But that doesn't... You don't really know anything about her experiences as a porn star, how that's shaped her. Um, So the movie ends up not being about anything or anyone, really. It just kind of is, this is what happened, and then this is what happened, and then this is what happened. So, but we're not, like, there isn't any meat to the movie. Pardon the pun. Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, I was really disappointed. Um, um, For movies that I went with really low expectations, All I See Is You, all I heard was terrible things about it. I almost dropped it. I loved it. And then I actually liked it. Floyd Kane did not like it. He told me not to go see it. Yeah. And I saw it. I, was I had like, people tell me to burn my ticket. I was like, what? The, I, first of all, because, so, the description in the book. Well, you love Blake Lively, like, first of all. Okay, I don't. Okay, this is a fucking <laughs> lie. Sorry, this is going to be explicit tag. Because I don't love Blake Lively. I hate Blake Lively. And However, she, I'm drawn to her. Don't ask me why. It's a sickness that I have. <laughs> But I like Mark Forster, and I. But they make this movie sound as though her, because they say basically this woman, so she's blind, and then she has surgery, and she restores her sight, and then her she realizes that the life that she's living with her husband isn't what she thought. So, I have this like I thought it was going to be this thriller, and it wasn't at all. It was like really like this really interesting ex- examination about like <laughs> heard this a million times, but it really is about identity, and as a blind woman, her identity was shaped by her relationship with her husband. When she gets her sight, her world becomes a much bigger place, and then it challenges that relationship. But friend of the point, friend of the podcast, Floyd Kane, thinks that in the last act, it took this massive turn into being a thriller, and I don't think that it became a thriller at all. It had thriller elements, but I don't feel like the characters acted like characters in a thriller did. Everything they did was rooted in... Like, you understood the motivation? Absolutely. I understand why they did what they did. So, to me, there were small things. So, maybe we're, you know, we're, we're conditioned to think, oh, this is what would happen in a thriller. But they really toned down those aspects. I actually thought it was really good. And he did a really great... I mean, I think he did a really great job of creating the visual world of someone who couldn't see. Like, when you saw the world from her perspective, it was actually very effective. It, you could see what she could see, and it actually seemed... It was really, really good. So, yeah, I, I really like the, like, all I see is you. So, therefore. All right. Me, too. I agree. Uh, under That's a, good, yeah, because we hadn't talked about that. Yeah, not at all. And I also really enjoyed The Oath. Uh, that was another one from, I'm going to say Iceland. I don't know. It's somewhere where people have, like, a slash through the O's in oh, their name. Oh, yeah, like Tovlo. She's from Scandinavia. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's sort of, you know, dad trying to get his daughter out of a bad situation with a boyfriend, and things do not go as planned. But there is something about that that icy light, mm-hmm. which is weird because it's the thing I hate the most often about Canadian movies not made in Quebec, which is the yeah, lighting, which is so very flat, similar. Flat, blue and gray. Yeah, but when they do it, somehow they just do it right. So I did really enjoy that one. Burn Your Maps. I also, it, it has a Jacob Tremblay in yeah. your Formiga and pretty fantastic. Really? And I, I went okay. in again with no expectations because it was late in the week. The whole yeah. cast was there though. Mm. And that kid is just as charming and precocious he's as he's ever been. Yeah. Yeah. A great mix of like genuine but practiced. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, no, it that was movie cool was. That the cast was there because that's something that, like this year, there were not a lot of. It was full cast there. There was there not a lot of talent in, on a Thursday on this year. Second Thursday. So. Yeah, that's amazing. Because yeah. I saw, I mean, we, I mean, really, I guess the most star power in one place was Sigourney Weaver and Michelle Rodriguez, and that's not really... That's not saying much. It's not lighting the sky on fire. Although yeah, I mean, last year I saw that, what was that, High something, the one with Hiddleston, and they had an extended Q&A with Uncle Scar and Hiddleston on the stage. and Last like, year? It, yeah, last year I saw High... High oh, oh uh, high rise, high, high rise, rise, yeah. high rise, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the movie wasn't great, but they were all there. Yeah, yeah. Like in years past, this is the first year where I've noticed this incredible dearth of talent. Um, in in, in terms of them physically being there, being not there, the movies. Yes, and not even from. I'm not talking about the last. I'm talking from the very beginning. Like Bill Nye, you know, and Douglas Booth were at the beginning of the Lime Golem, which is a great movie. But then they skedaddled, didn't come back for the Q and A. 
Um, you know, with Sasha Gourney Weaver and Michelle Rodriguez. Uh, I can't really think of anybody else who showed up for any movie. I mean, must, that's and that's the truth. Yeah, it's tough. It, w- it was, and especially this year, I'd say second screenings, you sometimes would still get a couple people. This year, it seems like either they all left town immediately yeah. or they scheduled the press screening. At the same time. Or the like the press conference at the same well, time that, as the second screening, which often happens. Well, that's what happened with... But they uh, did it a lot, I think, with greater frequency this year. Well, that's, what ha- well, that's why Bill Nye and Douglas Booth didn't show up. Um, they introduced the movie, but then they had to go off and do a press conference. And then I was uh, looking at in The Hollywood Reporter or something. So Olivia Cook, who's in the movie, wasn't there. But I saw... Uh, interviews with them all three of them and they're wearing the same clothes so that was done probably during the time that the movie was screening um they just didn't and i think people were in and out of town really really quick this year like a day or two and then they bounced no one was sticking around uh the salesman was good if you liked a separation or any mm-hmm. other movie like that i, I, Hardy. I liked I it saying his name uh it, it was a bit long it could have done with an edit okay so but there's some elements of that that I'm not going to say what other movie, if you liked, you would probably like this because that might spoil some plot, some plot elements, but it was good. I just definitely think that like, shave, you know, 10 to 15 minutes off that bad boy, just tighten it up, uh, but really great performances, just, it was, and it looked beautiful. Past Life, which was an Israeli film, uh, two sisters sort of find out some backstory on their father and what happened to him during the war in Poland and how that informs their lives and their choices. That was a lovely, not surprise. I mean, it was a Jane movie, so I knew it'd be good, but it was better than I even thought it would be. Aren't you going to tell them what happened today? I mean, we could talk about what happened today well, you briefly. Don't have, to, don't have to talk about the discussion. Just talk about, give them your background on Jane and then tell them what happened. Okay. Uh, I love Jane Chodal. That's all. Full stop. There's no yeah. equivocation like with you and Blake Lively, how you try to deny your love. My love dares speak its name and its name is... Blake that. and I have a very... Her whole getting married on a plantation is problematic for me. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know how to how to navigate. But she's not a bad actor. Anywho. I love Jane Chodal. Yep. I love the movie she picks. I love... Her honey whiskey voice, I love everything about her. Mm-hmm. And after our supremely decadent brunch, when we went to grab a seat on the back patio at the Ritz-Carlton before we headed on our way to come here and record, who should we see sitting, So ha- having a moment of quiet contemplation so I'm gonna, on I'm, I'm going to take the story over. So we were leaving. Yeah. We were going through the doors. And I noticed through the glass doors to my right... I was like, oh my God, that's Jane Chodal. Um, and because I know the hysteria this can cause, I was thinking, maybe I shouldn't say anything. But, that's fair. But I also wanted to mitigate the hysteria by saying, <laughs> by saying um, okay, that's Jane Chodal. And I think I said, don't act crazy. So I, So we went through the doors and then... Uh, we actually we kind of flanked her. She didn't have a she didn't really have a choice. She didn't have an escape. No, we we came we right flanked her and left flanked her, and uh, so we sat down and talked to Jane for a good forty minutes. She was delightful, very informative, very candid, um, and yeah, an all around good person and very generous with her time. Considering yes, it's she like, had some, she had something better to do. She had two things to do yep. after she left us, yep. and she still and she was very kind. Had her, a very engaging uh-huh. conversation, and once again reminded me. Of she's the exception that proves the rule of never meet your heroes because every time I have an interaction with her, I find her more and more charming, intelligent, delightful. She was great. Than the previous time. Yes. So that is our Jane um, side trip. But yeah, it was it was it was it was actually very very nice. It was actually was a cap to a very nice day. Yeah, and on average, I will say, and other people have said this too, this festival. I mean, it's no. There are years where it seems like you actually cannot pick a bad movie at all it's not that but i will say this year more than previous yeah, years good. sort of more than sort of like the last five or so it seemed like on average the the caliber of the movies even the bad movies they were still yeah. 
elements that made you understand why they picked it more than other years. And on average, I had many more movies that I like and would genuinely like recommend to people than movies that I would say, don't ever see this. Well, in years past, probably up until the last five years, uh, I always saw my favorite movie of the year at TIFF. For the past five years, that has not been the case. But it would take an incredibly strong movie to... Um, to unseat nocturnal animals because this is like one of the best movies I've ever seen. It's every like it's it hits every it hits all of my quadrants. Um, such a good movie, um, but then you know and then with this buzz on about a half a dozen movies coming out of TIFF that I really want to see, so I'm kind of excited to see if anything is going to be better than nocturnal animals for me. So yeah, I think it was a really really successful year. Um, that a really strong, that a really strong bench this year. So. Um, between the slate of movies and the logistics being pretty tight, I don't know. It's like I'm mean, gonna have to pick up something else to complain about because Tiff has actually turned it around. And maybe we should leave it on a positive note. Maybe we should. Yeah, because that's a uh, you know we already talked about Gina the Gina the Jones, which yeah. I loved. So yeah, I, that's all my good movies, and you know the bad movies were. I mean, really, except for they were what they were. Yeah, I mean, it's any time like someone might like it. If you like Rizamid, you might like it. But yeah, like it wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. I didn't feel like walking out. <laughs> and with that ringing endorsement, mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna call it a an end for our. We're still in festival mode. Yep. We're gonna do a wrap up in. You know, I'm going to say for sure we're gonna talk about at least ten things they could have done, either logistics or mm-hmm. website wise, that could have been improved. We'll probably get through max three each. Go on tangents and get drunk. So that will probably be the next one. And then we'll see what happens. Also looking forward to the fall program and the Star Trek stuff they're going to do at the Lightbox this year. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, they're really going from strength to strength for me. I mean, we had a great festival, and then they're going to do a whole bunch of Star Trek stuff. I mean, really. It's over, but it's only just begun. Exactly. So we're gonna, I'm going to boldly go and drink some more. All right, let's peace out on that. And we're out.